Good morning. We're in a series called, am I on? Series called Leading uh, Journey Through Life of Jesus. And today's topic is Leading Great. It'll make sense in a few minutes. We talk about a powerful, maybe the most powerful leadership principle that, that we can incorporate and Jesus taught. And people that you respect in leadership positions um, probably take advantage of this principle and people that you don't respect, don't want to follow, <laughs> probably don't take advantage of this principle. And in a large part it explains why the early church, New Testament says it this way, turned the world upside down without buildings, without money, and all the stuff that we have today. So, <clears throat> in this study we've been doing about Jesus' life from baptism until his crucifixion and resurrection, which is only four weeks away, Easter, our biggest uh, holiday, if you want to call it, celebration in the church. And so hopefully you're getting excited about that, I am. Uh, we've been centering this study on this principle or this perspective that Jesus came into the world to introduce something new, brand new. And it wasn't just for Jews, it was for everyone. So this is something new, it's not an add-on to Judaism. It's not just a uh, repackaging of the old. It's not just doing Judaism a different way. This is completely different. Now, in their world, not much different than in our world, leadership operated a specific way. The people with the most power exercised that power to make the people under them do what they wanted to do. So exercise authority under other folks. This is the way it worked then. It worked 2,000 years ago. Pretty much works that way today, right? People with power and authority and influence uh, can do what they want to the people with less power and influence. But Jesus said, no, 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 I'm going to bring something brand new. So it equates to this principle of leadership, not only in the world, but also in the church. And so the principle operates normally top down. <clears throat> so the president's at the top, so everybody else has to do what the president wants, or pretty much. Uh, a lot of arguing going on. But anyway, uh, people that have no power, no authority, can't really influence much of anything. As Jesus said, this is going to be upside down, like some other things that we talked about in the past couple weeks. So we want to start today's journey, I guess you can call it, <clears throat> with probably the most controversial, most dramatic miracle that Jesus performed. Jesus performed lots of miracles, but this was the most dramatic one. And if you grew up in church, you know this story. If not, we'll share it quickly. A guy by the name of Lazarus, who's a friend of Jesus, actually dies. But first he gets sick, and Jesus finds out about it. And since he healed sick people, the disciples said, oh, let's run over there and, and heal Lazarus before he gets any worse. Well, Jesus said, no, we're going to wait a while. <laughs> so they wait a few days. By the time they get there, Lazarus has been dead. He's been buried. He's been dead for four days, and he's been buried. And the way we know that is his sisters respond this way. Jesus, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's already stinking. His already, body's already rotting. Uh, not a good idea. Um, of course, he raises Lazarus from the dead. So Lazarus becomes famous. You can imagine, right? Uh, be pretty famous if you've been dead for four days and, and then come back to life. So he's kind of like a tourist attraction. And that's going to feed into our, our story. So after this all happens, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are always following Jesus around, trying to trap him or catch him. And uh, so we pick up the story in uh, John's account in chapter 11, verse 46. 
Some went to the, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So, hey, just wanted you to know, if you missed it, <laughs> there's a guy been dead for four days, and Jesus just brought him back to life. All right, so what's the response going to be? Next verse, the leading priests and the Pharisees called the high council together. So they got the bigwigs together. Okay, this is, this is huge, this is big. We need the most important people to make this decision. And they asked, what are we going to do? We're kind of trying to, you know, discredit this guy, and he's doing this kind of stuff. What are we going to do? This man, this man certainly performs many miraculous signs. So they admitted that he's doing miraculous things, but the fascinating thing is they still didn't want to believe in him. And that's the same response we're going to get today if we talk about Jesus and we talk about miraculous things. You're going to get people just kind of lean in and say, oh, that's interesting, I'd like to know more. And other people... Even if we could convince them it was real, they would still push back because they don't want to believe. And then the text goes on, John. <clears throat> if we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Which means what? They won't believe in them. <laughs> All right, so it's kind of like trying to get the biggest crowd. And so we had the crowd, and the crowd is gradually moving over here to Jesus. Eventually, we weren't going to have Anybody. So then our power, our authority, our uh, notoriety will, will be gone. But there's a bigger issue, or maybe just a big issue. The Roman army will come in and destroy both our temple and our nation. So these guys, these religious leaders, were responsible for keeping the peace. And so if, he, if something happens, it causes a turmoil or a potential uh, revolution or insurrection, uh, these guys are going to be held accountable, and the Romans weren't going to put up with it, as we talked about last week. He said they could come in and destroy our temple, and if they destroy the temple, it's basically destroy our nation, <clears throat> which we said last week <laughs> happened in 70 AD. But Jesus said, I've come to replace you guys anyway. I know you don't want to hear that, but that's what I've come to do. So skipping down a few verses. After they discuss this a little bit, this is the conclusion they come to. Kind of weird. Talking about religious leaders, right? So, time came, uh, so from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. One of the Ten Commandments, don't do that, but we're going to ignore that because we don't like this guy. So they began to plan to kill him. So Jesus' response to this is, it's not quite time for me to die. I'm going to die, but this is not time yet. So... John tells us that he stopped his public ministry in Jerusalem and went to a place in the wilderness, the village of Ephraim, and stayed there with his disciples. So they went off for a, way, for, for a while for a ways. Now, Passover's coming up. Passover is the, the huge ho- religious holiday in Judaism. It takes place same time as, as Easter because Jesus changed it <laughs> uh, for us. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. So... Jesus is, is in Ephraim. He's not in Jerusalem. And the religious leaders had spies going around. If you're going to kill somebody, you've got to find them, right? And so they had spies all around. So there's a lot of tr- uh, tension. There's a lot of intrigue. You could probably make a movie about this. <laughs> uh, spies trying to find Jesus, and Jesus trying to stay, stay uh, hidden for a little while anyway. But when the people there, next, 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 ver, or next chapter, back in John, 
When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him. But not only him, who else? Lazarus. Now, Jesus, I know you're performing miracles and you're famous. We want to see you, but we want to really, you know, it's like a circus act, right? We want to see this guy that was dead and now he's alive, walking around. That's pretty amazing. So, again, he was, he was uh, uh, popular, tourist attracts. People wanted to come and see him. The man that he had raised from the dead. The text goes on. Then the leading priest, and again, I don't know how your mind gets there, but then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus. Why are we going to kill Lazarus? Well, there's evidence. <laughs> he was dead, now he's walking around. If we get rid of him, there's no evidence that he was raised from the dead. You get rid of the evidence. Uh, because uh, it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them again and believed in Jesus. Well, if this guy can raise the dead, I didn't see you guys, you know, you, your religious leaders raising people from the dead. So I think we'll stick with this guy uh, that's raising people from the dead. Now, this concept of going from ignoring one of the Ten Commandments and deciding to kill your rival preacher, so to speak, and then deciding, well, let's kill Lazarus also. So now you've gone from one murder to two murders. How do you do that? Now, it's not as strange as you might think. Probably most of us have found ourselves doing something we never thought we would do. How did we get there? Well, we did something that we didn't think, yeah, that's not so bad. <laughs> and then we did something else we didn't think was so bad. It was a slippery slope. It happens gradually. And all of a sudden you're there and you wonder how that can happen. That's kind of how I interpret this. How do you get to the place where you're not only going to kill one person, you're going to start killing multiple people. So, Important thing to understand about uh, first century faith is this. Put it up on the screen. First century faith was faith, uh, we come to a relationship with Jesus by faith, but not because of faith. It was an evidence-based faith. They saw Lazarus. They saw Jesus raised from the dead. They saw the miracles. And so it wasn't a faith in just some kind of theological belief. It was faith in something logical, something concrete, something visual. Uh, I believe our faith is still the same. I haven't seen the risen Jesus, but I've seen evidence of God doing things that has no other explanation. So I believe our faith, just like theirs, is evidence-based, and it's logical, and we don't have to check our minds at the door uh, to be a, a Jesus follower. In fact, just the opposite. So then, go back to our text. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. Okay, so this guy's raised people from the dead. We've heard about him. Maybe some people have seen him. Now he's headed back to Jerusalem. It's Passover. The city is as crowded as it gets all year long. There's all this excitement about the Passover. There's all this excitement about Jesus. And uh, the, uh, if you read the text, there's a place where he marches into the city and they throw the palm branches down and and say, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is so ironic because five days later they killed Jesus. But that's what happens uh, when he enters the city. Now, again, the Pharisees don't like it much, right? Uh, next verse. So the Pharisees said to each other, nothing we can do about this. We can't stop this. It's kind of like a, a snowball running downhill. What do we do? Everyone, again, a little exaggeration, but everyone has gone after him. But literally, they had no idea what was going to happen. Because today, on, 
uh, what we call Sundays or, or Sabbaths or worship days, and yesterday, millions of people all over the world, all kinds of languages and all kinds of culture are celebrating some Jewish rabbi that lived 2,000 years ago. How bizarre, how <laughs> amazing that is. So they had no idea. But there's this tension, there's this excitement, there's also this tension between the religious leaders, of course, and Jesus. So the text goes on. No, we can flip over to John. Now with that backstory, um, John, uh, uh, Mark tells us about this encounter between Jesus and his disciples and about this leadership principle. Now they're on their way to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking <coughs> ahead of them. Disciples were filled with awe and the people followed behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the 12 disciples aside, so crowds all there and Jesus says, excuse me, I've got to talk to my guys for a minute. So Jesus takes his 12 guys aside. Once more, which means what? They'd heard this before. In fact, they probably heard it multiple times. Parents, how many times do you tell your kids to clean up their room, make their bed, do their homework, right? It's like, don't they hear me the last time I said it? Well, that's kind of what Jesus is doing here with the disciples. He began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. He says, okay, I want you guys to understand what's going to happen. Not be surprised. Here's what's going to happen. Next verse. It says, listen, pay attention. We're going to Jerusalem. Duh, that was obvious. That's where we're headed for the Passover. Where the Son of Man, which meant him. Uh, somebody asked me, why does Jesus talk about himself in third person? I don't know. It's just <laughs> the way the text reads. Where the Son of Man will be betrayed. Now, betrayal is a horrible thing. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed. Most of us have been if we've lived very long. Somebody we thought was a friend uh, turned out not to be a friend. Uh, somebody thought that liked us, said bad things about us, whatever it might be. He said, I'm going to be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. So these guys that have been trying to catch me, I'm going to be betrayed, so they're going to catch me. And they will sentence me to die. The religious leaders say, you deserve to die for blasphemy. You're calling yourself God. But they couldn't, they didn't have the power or authority to kill people. So, consequently, and hand him over to the Romans, who would actually kill him. <clears throat> now, if you're one of the disciples, and Jesus is saying to this, you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. We haven't been, ever been more popular than we are right now. And you're, you're the Messiah. You're going to set up your earthly kingdom what is all this stuff about dying? Then he gets more specific. He gets more graphic. He said they, meaning the Romans, will mock him, me. They'll spit on me, flog me with a whip, and kill me. Again, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. You're more popular than ever. What is all this about dying and torture and all that? And then he added on, of course, and after three days we'll rise again. I don't know if they heard that part. Um, but this is what Jesus said. Now, if you're one of the 12 disciples and Jesus said this multiple times to you and you're thinking, well, we're getting close to when everything's going to get really good and Jesus starts talking about this stuff that's not very good, what's going to be your response? Well, kind of a strange response. Two of the disciples, John and James, came over and spoke to him, kind of drew him aside. Jesus, the two of us need to talk to you. Uh, teacher, you want us to do us a favor. Wait a minute, I just told you I'm going to be tortured and die. 
And you're asking me for a favor? Now, before we be too tough on them, how much of our prayers are kind of like that? Yeah, God, it's all about you. You're, you're God. You're the Holy One and everything. But, you know, what about me? You know, what about what I want? And that's what they're doing, right? Okay, okay, but what about me? What do I want? Jesus is kind enough to say, okay, what you need, what you want, what's your request? And so they tell him. When you sit on your glorious throne, which you think is going to happen pretty soon, probably, you know, we're going into Jerusalem, it's going to happen. We want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. Of course, you're number one. You're going to be the king. You're the Messiah. But somebody's got to be number two. Somebody's got to be number three. And you can pick between us. You know, we're not really caring which one of us is two and one of us is three, but we want to make sure we're two and three. Jesus' response is this. You don't know what you're asking. Was that true? Yeah. It's pretty true. Another way of saying this uh, up on the screen. Glory precedes glory. He just talked about it, right? And if you, a couple of weeks we'll talk about this, but Jesus gets in the garden. The soldiers come. What happens to the 12 disciples? Well, 11, excuse me. One of them brought the soldiers. They, <laughs> they run as fast as they can. They weren't ready. They didn't know what they were asking. Now, okay, so these two disciples, Jesus just told them about his, his suffering and dying in the resurrection. And these two disciples say, hey, 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 we, you know, we know about the dying stuff, but we, the kingdom stuff we like, and we want to be, you know, in authority. And the other ten disciples hear about this. Now, what should have been their response? Jesus just told about his suffering. He told us about how hard it's going to be. You know, we should be, oh, Jesus, what can we do? How can we help? You know, how can we stop this? But what was their response? The disciples heard that James and John had asked, and they were indignant. Why were they indignant? Because they wanted to be number two and number three. How insensitive. They didn't care about Jesus being tortured and killed. Somehow it's all going to work out and we're going to, you're going to have your kingdom. And, and we, Peter, me, and Matthew, me, I, I want to be number two and number three. Now I can imagine Jesus saying, did I pick the right guys? <laughs> They're not getting it. But of course we're going to see that he picked the right guys and they do get it. <clears throat> so, Jesus calls them together. Okay, guys. I need to talk to you. You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. To emphasize this point of authority, in the Greek there's two separate words, lorded over and flaunt their authority. And the disciples would have said what you and I would say, exactly, we know how it works. The people with all the power, and they get to dictate. It's exactly how it works. Now, before we get to Jesus' response, I want you to ask you a question. Well, what Jesus says next, is this optional? Because often we read these things, we think about these things, or hear somebody teach these things, and we think, yeah, that's, yeah, let me think about that. <laughs> let me just say to you, as we talked about before, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, it's a good principle to follow, but if you are, these things aren't optional. It weren't optional for the disciples 2,000 years ago. It's not optional for us. So, 
He says, you understand, right? He said, but among you, it will be different. Remember, something new. Something upside down, which it couldn't be more appropriate than in this illustration. And I'm just imagining. Then he says, hey, how many of you want to be great? James and John would have put their hands up. What about you, Peter? Yeah, yeah. Matthew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine all 12 of them putting their hands up. Ah, we want to be great. And then Jesus gives them the punchline. Whoever wants to be a leader, wants to be great among you, must be your servant. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not how it works. The servants are the ones that have to do what the master tells them. Then it gets even worse. He says, whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Now, slave, servants might get paid. Slaves don't even get paid. Well, Jesus, that doesn't sound like any fun. That's not something like we want to we wanna do. <clears throat> and before they can object, and before you and I can, can object, notice what Jesus says. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. I'm God, I'm the Messiah, and I didn't come for you to serve me, but to serve you, to serve others. Not only to serve them, but to give my life as a ransom for many. Now again, if you're Jesus follower, this is, this is a principle for our lives. It's not optional. And the neat thing about this is it has the potential and is transformational. Not only for us, but those that we serve. Uh, next slide. Jesus was the king that came to reverse the order of things. Literally. Politically. Uh, not only religiously. Now, did these guys get it to this point? No, they didn't get it. <clears throat> but it's interesting to read the book of Acts after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of Jesus' life. There's, a, there's an account of the early church. You read the book of Acts, the early church had problems. We always think, oh, the early church was great. Now they had problems like all churches. Some of you have heard me say this. If, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. But a bigger question is this. If you find the perfect church, they won't let you join it because they know you'll mess it up. But anyway, uh, the early church had problems. In chapter 6, you know what the problem was? The disciples were spending so much, they were spending time feeding the widows, not only Jewish widows, but the Greek widows, that they weren't spending enough time praying and, reading the, and teaching the Bible. And so they had this election and elect some other people, spiritual people, to take care of the widows. And then the disciples went on with their prayer and, and teaching ministry. <clears throat> so then let's get back to John, chapter 13. We come to prepare the Passover. Jesus with his 12 disciples. Jesus knew that the hour had come. Now it was time. Now it was time to, to, to let himself be arrested. This way, described here is to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Now, independent of the fact that he was going to die, Passover was a very emotional time for Jewish people. They were celebrating this tremendous event where the Israelites got, you know, Moses got them out of Egypt and all that. And they had been celebrating this for a thousand years. and. Uh, very emotional, and again, 
high point of, of their, their religious year. And then Jesus does something just completely bizarre off the wall. He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and did what? He washed the disciples' feet. I just picture the disciples there at this point panicking. We didn't wash his feet. We didn't think to wash anybody's feet. We didn't think to get somebody else to wash feet. So Jesus is doing it. And so in verse 8, Peter said, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing this. You'll never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you won't be belong to me. You're out of here, Peter. Peter said, okay, then wash my whole body. Now, again, I think we missed some of the tension here. How long does it take to wash 12 people's feet? Quite a while, right? You can imagine disciples sitting there watching this, thinking to them, what are they thinking to themselves? What are they saying to each other? Because here's one thing they knew on the screen. Next slide. They knew what his hands could do. He'd healed the sick and raised the dead, cast out demons. Now these hands are washing my feet. I think he got their attention, don't you? And then he has this leadership principle to teach again. He says, Since I, your Lord and teacher, because I am, I'm the Messiah, have washed your feet. So I'm at the top of the food chain, right? And I've washed your feet. You're somewhere down. You ought at least wash each other's feet because you're kind of on the same level, right? Then he says, this is an example. Next verse. Give an example for you to follow, as all my life has been. So do as I've done to you. Again, not optional. (laughs) You follow me. Follow my example. I've just showed you the greatest spirit, uh, leadership principle. Do it. And then he says this. I tell you the truth. Slaves are no greater than their masters, right? Messengers are more important than the one who sends the message. Basically said, Nobody's be- you, you guys aren't better than me, right? So consequently, you have and I have no excuse. And then... Finishes up with this. Now that you know these things, maybe it'd be better if you hadn't come this morning, because now you know these things, right? Now that you know these things, God will bless you. I like I like to be blessed. Want to be blessed? Everybody raise your hand. How do you get blessed? For doing them. Blessed means what's best for you, best for people around you. Now, if you read the history of the early church, they did this. They took care of the sick. What did the Greeks and the Romans do with the sick? They didn't want to be around them. They didn't know which diseases were <laughs> contagious or communicable, so they didn't take any chances. If you're sick, get out of here. I don't want to catch what you got. So the Christians would take care of the sick, and they would leave babies out on the streets, and they would, they would adopt and raise these babies. And the way they, could, way they, reason they could do that is this. They weren't afraid to die. If you're not afraid to die, you can take care of sick people. And there's something, even though it was bizarre to, in their world, there's something appealing about that, isn't there? And eventually it became contagious. And within 300-some years, this, 
knockoff of Judaism, this thing we call Christianity, the church, the ones that the Romans had killed the leader of, declared to be the only legal religion in the Roman Empire. How does that happen? Because this principle works. It worked 2,000 years ago. Let me ask you a question. You think it'll work today? What would it look like? Here's something you can just ask yourself. Get yourself in this mode. How can I help? Parents, teachers, students, people around here. I'm a position of leader being a pastor. How can I help you? See, the interesting thing is, Jesus, God asked himself this question 2,000 years ago, didn't he? How can I help you, my creation? Well, the only way I can help you is to send my only son to earth to suffer and die. Conquer death and be raised from the dead. So that's what he did. So imagine what our world would look like if we, the church, would adopt this principle that Jesus modeled so magnificently for us. I didn't come to be served. If I didn't come to be served, but to serve, certainly you and I should. So something we do this time each year, we give you an opportunity to serve, (laughs) literally. So we're going to pass you out a, a serve card. If you've been here before, we get one, you can fill one of these out. About things you can try, things you're doing. This is some samples on there. You can write anything else that you're doing on there. We tabulate those, all these, and it's just magnificent. It's fantastic to see that you all as your hands and feet of, of Jesus. Uh, a couple of mission trips are on there. Uh, be part of our guest experience. Um, guys, you can come up. <laughs> Uh, production and media. You may have a thought for a ministry we aren't even doing right now. Say, hey, I, I'd like to start this ministry. Or I'd like the church to think about this, type, this, this, this ministry. So, do we take seriously what Jesus said? That's what it boils down to. Do we take it seriously or not? He said, blessed are you if what? You do it. Do it. What is it? Serve. Being the hands and feet of Jesus. And lots of you are doing lots of amazing things. Put that on there. Like I say, it's it's fantastic to tabulate this stuff. But some of you need to be doing something. If you're going to be a Jesus follower, he can set the example. If you're a follower, you have no option but to follow the example. We'd like like you to fill this out Right now. <laughs> uh, put your name on there. Uh, praise team will, will sing, but um, I'm going to pray first. And take as much time as you need when the service is over. If you need more time, take more time. And we'll collect these with uh, the other cards. But if you want to keep yours longer, hand it to me at the door. Okay? So, let me pray for you. Father God, thank you. I thank you for this wisdom in, 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 in God, in, in your word. I thank you for this wisdom in Jesus' teaching. Um, because we understand it, most of us have practiced this at times, that there is a blessing to serving. It's what we're wired to do. It's what we, how we best exemplify Christianity. And it's certainly the best way for us to spread the good news of Jesus.
it worked in an amazing, just mind-boggling way in the early church, first century, the third century. And God, we believe that it can work again. So, we're a small group, but God, start with us. That's our prayer. Start with us. Change us, change our community. And eventually, let the world be changed. As always, God, we want to pray for anybody that's not a Jesus follower. We're glad that they're here. But we pray today is a day they would say, yes. <laughs> yes, Jesus. I want you in my life. I need my sins forgiven. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to have the blessings of being connected with God. I want to have the blessings of being your hands and feet and serving. Most of my life has been selfish up to this point. It's all been all about me. Kind of like those two guys that want to sit in Jesus right and left. But it's kind of left me empty. I don't, it's not how you wired me, God. There's something missing. So today, Jesus, I believe it's you. I'm inviting you into my life. Father God, I, I just thank you for those that have made that decision this morning. I thank you for these folks as they become your hands and feet. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.